You've seen their TV shows. You've watched their webcasts. Now, the boys invite you to Poker in the Ears. Hello, my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. He is my work wife, James Hardigan. Happy birthday, Joe. It's your birthday. So I've decided to compartmentalize my memes. I've decided that letting the loving sound surround you is very much an EPT retro thing. And happy birthday, Joe, is now a podcast stalwart. I'm so fucking glad to hear it. Coming up on today's show. <laughs> you almost said that like you meant it. It's book report moving on. It's book report day. You had an assignment. It was to read three to two chapters in Martin Harris's book, Poker and Pop Culture, because today we are talking about poker and pop culture. This show is often about movies and TV shows. The show is sometimes about poker. Today, we're combining the two. Huzzah. Not only will we be discussing the book, but we will be discussing it with the author, Martin Harris, joining us on the show. Of course, we've got a short update on what we've covered on EPT Retro this week. And I have half a hand history from a play money home game. I bet you can't wait for that one. I'm I'm actually down to talk about playing a hand of poker, believe it or not. It's been a while. I'm absolutely down to talk about it. Half a hand history? Well, I have incomplete information. I'll get into it. I'll get into it. So it's like one of mine. Great. You you don't remember half this shit. Uh, And this week's super fan is Ken Miller. He is a super fan. Love me some Ken Miller from Pennsylvania. He is going to challenge me on the subject of Ghostbusters. The original 1984 version, not Lady Ghostbusters, not uh, Cartoon Ghostbusters. No. So while we're talking super fans, yeah, I do think we've identified someone who will be able to come on to next week's show and answer questions about rounders. That is assuming that we are going to kick things off with our rounders retrospective. Yes. So for all right, let's let, tell me the good news first about this supremely qualified super fan. No, there's no bad news here. I'm I'm more wondering about what the deal is with Brian Koppelman. Yeah, no, I'm trying to to avoid talking about that. Oh, I, I see. I don't, that good, eh? Since, since the yes, I just got the one word yes, and then I said, thank you, excited, awaiting further instructions. I have heard nothing since then. I guess I have to prod again. Yeah. Like today. Yeah. Um. Oh, man. All right. Well, <laughs> I guess that's I don't I well, I hold on a second. This show is a producer, doesn't it? No. Oh. Who am I? Who am I carbon copying every week with the uh, running order? Ben, I doubt he reads it. <laughs> ben, this sounds like a Ben job to me is what I'm saying. <laughs> ben does not have a personal connection with Brian Copperman. Ben is not based in L.A. schmoozing with all these Hollywood types. In home and that games. Is exactly why he should be the one to bother Brian. All right, I'll do it. Fine. Uh, what non-poker TV are we talking? I've been watching um, what we do in the shadows. Okay, so I recently discovered the original movie, and people have been raving about this for several years, and oh, I was no. I was like, I just don't think it's very good. I don't think it's oh. very funny. I just it just didn't work for me. And look, I. I love Flight of the Concords. Yeah. I love Taika Waititi's other stuff, but I was just like, 
uh. so when i heard that they'd remade it in america as a tv show i was like well i guess it could be better but i can't show any enthusiasm for it it's not better than the movie um uh. i but i really like the movie i think the movie is is like one of the best comedies i've seen in the last five years or whatever it's been really? since it came out i didn't finish yeah, it I, I quit 50 minutes in i'm like i'm sorry i'm just not enjoying this Look, if you don't like the conceit of it, and sometimes, look, sometimes the fake documentary bothers me. One of no, the things that bothers me that's not the about- problem. The conceit, I loved. The premise, I loved. I just thought yeah. the execution was really poor. Huh. I, I, I actually have some problems with the TV show because they're a little inconsistent with the vampire stuff. Right. Is Toast of London in the American yes, TV series? Yes, Matt Berry's in it, and he's fucking hilarious. You know that guy is so funny. Like, any line he says is just hilarious. It doesn't even have to be particularly well written been watching it i don't it's not my favorite but it's decent i think it's okay. very decent but if you don't like the movie no. i don't think you're gonna like that no i never went back and finished parasite oh Is yeah that you, bad you teased us last week that you'd started watching it and then quit i kind of feel you owe it to yourself to to, to finish it unless you hate it over maybe but Give i also go. haven't I, part of it's just that like i said it's just been focusing on things has been really difficult during this time unless it's work i'm really like half into things i haven't even watched any more marvel movies how can you set off on a marvelathon and in the space of two weeks watch a whole single movie because there's only 23 of them and i'm trying to make them last throughout all quarantines <laughs> that's why if i i'll probably be able to watch one a week at the way things are going and still have plenty of time but i don't know if you know this or not so ryan furpo yes. the guy that we know i'll say quote unquote yes. know who's uh, did Bet Ray's Fold and did a bunch of documentaries for Poker Stars yes. back in the day. Apparently, he wrote a Marvel movie. Yeah, we've spoken about this already. He's written the screenplay for The Eternals. Joe, I've sent you multiple emails about this. I've said for the last five months, we need to get this guy on the podcast. I even copied Ben, who I doubt read the emails. Well, I I did read the emails because I do read your emails. But what happens a lot of the time is your emails the first thing I see when I wake up in the morning. Like... Within the first 30 seconds. So sometimes it doesn't always stay with me. Let's get him. Okay. Let's get him. Okay. Um, I, I will get him. In the meantime, please indulge me for a second. So yep. the to. reason why the hand history I'm about to tell you is patchy is it was one of many hands, slightly ludicrous hands, that I played during a Play Money home game with the rest of the live stream slash TV production team at PokerStars. And because it's a play money hand, you can't get the hand history. So some of the details are not 100%, but I'm 98% sure that I've retained most of the information here. Look, most of it, it's not going to matter for me, right? It's not like I'm going to be like, what was the stack? To pot ratio. I'm just going to listen okay. to what you, what you have. Okay. Well, th- let's get to it. It's a fantastic journey through space and time. It's Hand Histories. I can tell you that this is a relatively fast-paced MTT with three-minute blind levels. 5K starting stack. Blinds 1530, which is the first level. So we are in the early stages and everyone has roughly starting stack apart from one player who's already donked off 50% of his chips. Pre-flop action. I have ace 10 suited on the button. Ace of spades, 10 of spades. All in. There is a min raise from the hijack called by the cutoff. Probably the mistake I make in this hand is just flatting on the button which allows the small blind 
and the big blind to call as well, which means we go five way to the flop. The flop. Eight of spades, eight of clubs, six of hearts. I consider this to be whiffing and action checks around. Nobody bets into this five-way pot. The turn. Seven of spades. The board gets straighter and I pick up the flush draw. Now, the blinds check, but the hijack, who let's remember was the original raiser, now makes a delayed continuation bet of 240, which is pretty much full pot. And there are three callers. The cutoff, myself on the button with the yeah. nut flush draw, and the yeah. small blind. Okay. The river. Is the six of spades. The good news is I've just rivered the nut flush. But let me remind you of the board. Mm -hmm. Eight, eight, six, six, seven with three spades. So I have the nut flush on a double paired board. And the hijack now bets a thousand. The cutoff calls. The action's on me. I've still got the big, the small blind rather to act behind me. What do you do here? What do you is do? It, isn't this very similar to the hand that I talked about the last time we did a hand history? It, it's not dissimilar. There's just more people involved in the hand, yeah. which makes me think that surely someone has to have an eight. Someone has to have a six. I can't possibly not be against a full house with three opponents in this pot. And surely the nut flush is worthless on a double paired board considering what's happened. Yeah, I mean, look, for it's a 1K bet, right? You start with a 5K starting stack. You've invested what, like a total of 400 um, in this pot? No, I've invested about 300 in the pot. 300 in the pot. Look, this is one of those situations that I think you have to fold. Someone is definitely slow playing an eight with four players in the hand. When it checks around, like, there's just no way that it's going to check around uh, on the flop and then have three callers on the turn and someone not have pocket sevens, an eight, a six. And if so, right, even if so, there's just better spots. You like you, you fold your nut flush and then you see people turn up with like a worse flush and you're like, oh, you idiots. Oh, you guys are such idiots. But you just it's too much to risk. I don't disagree with you, Joe. The only caveat I'm going to throw in here is that the people we're talking about in this hand are not particularly proficient at poker but yeah. i would think knowledgeable enough not to get carried away with hands that are not near nutted in this spot anyway i decide to fold the ace 10 having chased the flush and then made the flush i then mm -hmm. fold the flush the small blind folds as well so it's showdown between the hijack and the cutoff they both have a seven so <laughs> two pairs eights and sevens rather than two pairs eights and sixes on the board. I did have them both beaten. And then they start getting into a row about, oh, you had the better kicker. And it's like, I folded the nut flush there and you're angry about the fact you got out kicked. I just don't know how you can overcall on a double paired board. Like, what a bunch of clowns though, man. Play money home games for the win. Um, so you and I have been streaming more EPT retro action in the last couple of days in the company of Benjamin Spraggy Sprag. Uh, the tail end of season four saw us witness the birth of Mike McDonald as he won in Dortmund. It Very saw cool. the Vance Jensen heads up in Copenhagen. You didn't get to experience it in real time. You did not get 
a real impression of what it was like to be there. In fact, the edited highlights almost made it seem like it was a fun thing. No, I wouldn't say almost because remember, I that's all I've ever seen, right, was this particular viewing of it. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was hilarious. I thought that um, I didn't even have like the negative sentiment that I could kind of sense like that nobody like really likes these two players. Um, I didn't even get that. Like I just it kind of felt fun and joyful and neither of those guys like really knew how to behave in that situation. But I found that kind of endearing. Yeah. Now, I'm sure that if I had been subjected to a 14, 16, 20 hour final table, whatever it was, I would feel this. I would feel differently. Yes. But in that, that's one, that's, that's my favorite thing I've seen in poker in a long time was that final table and that heads up match. I, I loved it. And then we immediately moved on to San Remo, which was the first ever EPT San Remo and what was the shortest final table in EPT history. Of course, the TV highlights are never going to give you that impression that one event lasted 14 hours and the other was two and a half hours. And last but by no means least, the grand final in Monte Carlo and the champion in Monte Carlo who looks just like Roger Federer. <laughs> Glenn Shorty. Yeah. So that, that final table I'd never seen before either and I'd kind of heard like rumblings of of what went on there that one kind of checked out like as far as like the glenn Chorney doesn't come off super likable as i'll say i'm not going to make like a, a judgment about who he is as a person i had heard he doesn't come off super likable and i agree that he doesn't come off super likable does he ever have a presence on the ept after that i don't think he does so the first time we would have seen him was at the pca that year and then he won the grand final. And as we referenced on the stream, I think the single biggest prize in a main event in EPT history, more than 2 million euros. At that time, nearly 3.2 million US dollars. And I don't think we see or hear from him ever again. In so fact, good. Like, not in a bit, not, I don't mean that in a bad way because of what I just said. Like, good yeah. for him. Like, win $3 million and disappear off the face of the poker planet. Like, I hope he's living on a beach somewhere and just. Yeah. You might remember, Joe, that there were a couple of years, I think in 2011 and also in 2012, where we had a, a tournament of champions at the EPT Grand Final. And I don't think he attended either of those events. We saw loads of blasts from the past come to Madrid and Monte Carlo those two years, but I'm pretty sure we didn't see Glenn Shawnee. Um, but that does mean we're about to move on to season five of the EPT. We're now midway through 2008. We're going to continue streaming every Wednesday and Thursday. So join us next week at 1 p.m. UK time, 2 p.m. Central European summer time. And exciting news for our viewers in the UK and Ireland. Our Canadian listeners, I'm sure, have already noticed that episodes of the PSPC, the PokerStars Players Championship, have been airing on Sportsnet. And oh, now... Cool. It's time for viewers in the UK and Ireland to enjoy those TV shows on Channel 4. I know it's been a while, guys. I know you've been waiting a long time for these shows because the event happened in January of last year. But you can now watch nine consecutive weeks of coverage from the biggest 25K event in history. You can follow the pros, the Platinum Pass winners through those nine shows. Kicked off today, Thursday, the 23rd of April. So you might have to use the catch-up service if you missed it to watch the first episode on all four and then just set 
your programmer, just set your record for future episodes Thursday nights, early hours of Friday morning on Channel 4 in the UK and Ireland. If you're anywhere else in the world, I'm sure you'll get a chance to see these shows soon. And of course, eventually, they're going to appear on the Pokestars YouTube channel. But for now, Canada, UK, you're sorted. And if I may say so, they're good shows. They're entertaining. They're fun. They're good. Obviously, the story of the PSPC is, uh, you know what? At first, I was a little disappointed that it's so long since it happened. But now I feel like now that there's like a little distance in the rearview mirror between when it happened and now, it's actually kind of fresh again. Like it's not incredibly apparent what happened at the time. So it's like a nice little revisit to that. I don't disagree. Uh, Just one headline to summarize this week what's going on in poker today now it is time for poker in the years news and it's the least surprising development of the last month the world series of poker 2020 has been officially postponed executive director ty stewart saying that they are committed to running the world series this year presumably in late autumn and meanwhile they are planning a series of WSOP events to be played online this summer. And I imagine we'll get more details on that in the coming weeks and months. Um, Joe, if the live series does go ahead in the autumn, as a few commentators have observed, it will be the first time ever that the World Series hasn't been held in the spring or summer. Now, one man who is very familiar with the history of the World Series is our guest, on this week's podcast because he is an expert on all things poker. He's written about it. He's taught about it. He's reported on it. He is writer, teacher and poker reporter Martin Harris. Martin, welcome to Poker in the Ears. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Martin, this is so exciting. I love you. You're one of my favorite people in the entire industry, maybe even in the world. And I'm so glad that, look, when your book went on pre-sales or whatever was the earliest I could order, I ordered five copies of your book because I love supporting talented people. I love supporting my friends. I'm good at buying things. I'm not great at reading them. So this <laughs> gave me an excuse to actually do it. And I apologize that I hadn't read it until now. And I still haven't read all of it. But the sections that I did read, let me tell you, I am blown away by the depth and how interesting it is. And I'm incredibly proud of you. And I hope you're proud of this book also. Thanks so much. I think you might be tied with my dad for most copies bought at this <laughs> point. Um, I'll have to let him know, though, because he's very competitive. Um, yeah, th- thanks so much. It's uh, Yeah, it's real satisfying to have, have been able to. It was a project that took a r- long time. And I probably had been working on it off, you know, in different ways for probably 10 or 12 years, really. And then the last couple of years were the intense ones as far as the real earnest writing went. But then to finally see it come out last summer was was super satisfying. So thanks so much. Yeah, because Martin, we obviously see you on the circuit as as a reporter and as someone who writes about poker for a variety of, of poker sites. But in the background, something we all learned about you a few years ago is that you also lecture about poker as well. You also talk about poker in American culture. That's right. I have kind of a funny career path where I was a full-time academic teaching English in college. Um, And then I got into poker and started doing the poker reporting and freelancing and so on. And then that became my full-time job. At that point, I became a part-time professor and I was able to get uh, over at UNC Charlotte 
they have an American studies program, and I proposed a class called Poker in American Film and Culture, uh, and they agreed to do it. This was a long time ago. This is 2011 was the first time I taught it, um, and I've been teaching it ever since, actually. Uh, and so actually it was that class that kind of got really got me going as far as since I had to write lectures and had to present the history of poker and then also talking about poker and culture and films uh, to my class. Uh, that got me going towards the idea of actually writing a book. And so it started there, really. Yeah, because that was the question I was going to ask is how much of the research you did was specifically for the book and how much of this was knowledge you'd acquired in the I time you've been teaching this course? I had the exact same question, James. <laughs> um, I'll just answer it once then. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I started a poker blog in 2006 sure. and I was writing, so I was sort of in the old school bloggers there. I was in that group and I was, uh, I would write about movies and TV shows. I'd write about poker in all these different contexts for my blog, just personally. And then I, as I got to, into freelancing, I had some sites who wanted, got me to write. I was able, fortunate enough to write, you know, for them to write sort of articles and columns and things. And so I was writing about it even before the class started in 2011. And then, so I guess the class kind of came out of that to, to go back and, and reorder things. Um, and then I started writing the lectures and then continued to write those articles and so all of this, I, I was accumulating all of this content under this heading of like pop culture um, and poker. And so I had a lot of sort of uh, disconnected stuff and then finally was able to put it together and organize it into this book. Do you think that there are, is there another you in the world? Is there another poker pop culture expert or do you think that you are the worlds and i know you probably wouldn't word it like this but do you think that you're probably the top guy in the world for this i don't know about that um i know that there are a lot of people who are interested in the subject and who have yeah. written on it probably nobody's written quite this much in one place about it but there's a lot there and in fact one thing i realized as i wrote the book um and finally you know got it together into this form was there's 23 chapters in the book i would say half those chapters are on topics that could be full books on their own. Uh, so there was a lot of stuff that I was not able to even include in this long book. So, you know, like a, the long, the longest chapter is poker in the movies. And I'm sure you could, you could, somebody could easily do a, you know, two or 300 page book just on that topic. Um, and there are others like that. So. Well, let's let's talk about poker in the movies for a second. Um, I don't know why I thought this, probably because I'm just an idiot. But I thought to myself, I've got a pretty good understanding of poker in the movies. <laughs> I've seen probably most of the <laughs> poker movies out there. How no, my God, be? no, right. not even close. Like shit that I'd never even heard of, including not just stuff from like, I mean, you you cite a movie from 1899. <laughs> uh, as being like the first poker movie, but not just that. There's a movie that that you mentioned from like the modern era that I had never even heard of. Um, a couple of them. How did you track some of these things down? Yes. How do you unearth these? And have you seen everything you've referenced? I well, you know, I'll I'll be honest. I probably reference. I counted it up at one point. There's about 130, 140 movies mentioned in the book. Um, most in that chapter, but also in other chapters. Um, and I had a list. 
I, this is a list that I had been compiling for many years, and I had a list of, that was at least twice that long, um, wow. maybe three or four. And these are movies, to be fair, they're not really poker movies. They're just movies in which poker comes up somewhere. Um, and so that's a kind of a loose, loosely defined category. Um, but I've seen a lot of them. I've seen all of them that I write about. I definitely got in there. There are a few where I only you know, was able to look at a scene or two and, you know, to give myself enough to, to write about it. But I've probably seen most of the ones that I write about. And in your discussion of those movies, even the ones which maybe don't present poker particularly realistically or maybe artistically aren't the best, you're relatively kind until we get to Lucky Town, which you describe <laughs> as a dreadful drama. This is the one which clearly irked you. <laughs> that was maybe one of the most fun parts of the book to write was when I kind of collected there are a few movies like that and you guys know them like uh, All In is one uh, not the documentary but there was a, a feature film Yeah. Um, and then there's uh, Lucky You is in there I'm Afraid uh, and then, look, and then uh, Lucky Town and I had a lot of fun kind of, I, I guess I did kind of tip my hand a little bit and, and talked about why those movies weren't <laughs> successful. In because fact, they were terrible. The, the, one of the, com I mean, besides sort of like howling mistakes, th th that movie that you mentioned is the great one is there's a scene where there's a, there's a hand where a, one player seems to be playing five card draw and the other one seems to be playing hold'em. <laughs> And, 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 you know, it's kind of hard for a poker player to, to miss that. But, wow. but anyway, um, I, I had a lot of fun. And actually, I was kind of indulgent in the footnotes. There are a lot of fun moments in the footnotes where I get even more specific about what's wrong with these movies. Yes, um, indeed. But yeah, that's fun, fun stuff. I tell you, one of the films you brought up, which I have seen and had completely forgotten about, is the movie Shade with Sylvester Stallone and Jamie Foxx, where it's all about... In order to be the best at poker, you have to be the best cheat. And it's just painful. It makes your skin crawl. Yeah, it's weird. Like the beginning, actually, the beginning of that movie kind of reminds you of Rounders a little bit. There's like a sort of a narration, an over, you know, the, the voiceover. And, but, and you, you think of Mike McDermott talking about, you know, if, you're, if you don't spot the sucker in the first 30 minutes, you're the sucker. And, then, you know, it sort of sounds like that, but he's talking about cheating. And then it, it keeps barring from rounders. There's a character in there that's like exactly like the professor. Yeah. And then it um, totally steals from the Cincinnati kid. It has lines lifted exactly. <laughs> which, with it. If, you've never, if you've never seen the Cincinnati kid, it might seem kind of cool. But if you've seen the Cincinnati kid, you're, you're thinking, what, what is this? But did you find, Joe, as well as I did, that it seems that cheating is the common theme of so many of these films, that whenever poker was put into cinema, it's always because there was cheating going on? Yeah, and I, th I think that Martin covers that a little bit, whether he draws this comparison specifically. but And it's something that I str I'm struggling with, too, because, look, I, I fancy myself a bit of a writer, and I've had lots of ideas for poker movies and TV shows, and before all this happened, I was pretty deep into a pilot that sort of had poker in it. And that poker, you know, is this solo journey, which is why it kind of works so well for streaming, right? Like we're finding that when the person can take you inside their mindset and go through what they're going through, it's a little bit more, uh, it's, it's easier to like get attached to it. It's easier to be told a story. So Martin, do you think that cheating is such a big factor because it, it actually makes 
poker less of a solo thing and more less of a thing happening inside your head and that's what's happening outside yeah i mean there's a lot of there's probably a lot of good reasons for why when poker comes up in movies why cheating is part of this story so often um it's a it's a great sort of conflict creator and adds you know intrigue and suspense and you know, if the audience knows one player is cheating and, and the other people at the table don't know the player's cheating, it sort of adds another bit of, you know, some dramatic irony and all these sort of fun things. Um, I don't, I, I think that, and, I, and in fact, most of the book, I, I'm doing this with all these different uh, topics in the book where I'm talking about poker in different uh, contexts, where it, it definitely is reflecting something of, just the culture's view of poker and they associate it with gambling yeah. and especially you know when we go back in history uh cheating is part of, one of the many reasons why poker is a, a dangerous activity and it's something to maybe be avoided uh if you're uh not a, a gangster or a, a, a slinging a gun in the old west and that kind of thing and so there's all these associations too that make uh, filmmakers, I think, uh, make their poker games full of cheaters. And I'd forgotten just how many westerns there were that feature a game of poker or have a, a central theme around poker playing characters. The one small section of the book that I skipped over deliberately, Martin, is where you talk <laughs> about Big Hand for the Little Lady. And the reason is <laughs> I still have not seen that film. Every now and then, Joe and I will do what we call Poker Movie Monday on a Wednesday, and we'll revisit a classic poker film. Most recently, we did uh, uh, California Split, which we both thoroughly enjoyed. And I get oh, the yeah, impression yeah. You, there's a special place for that in your heart as well. But I've never seen this movie. It's a film I feel I should watch. So I, I didn't want any spoilers. So I just, oh, he's talking about that film now. So I'm going to skip over that and move on to the next paragraph. <laughs> Is it worth? I will, a, is it worth I will say that I, my wife and I actually just watched that a couple of weeks ago uh, in our our confinement here, uh, and we enjoyed it. It's a good date movie if you're looking for something to watch with with uh, with a lady friend. So uh, before we move on from movies uh, to get into TV shows, uh, obviously the big one that you spend a, a fair amount of time talking about, and it is you know as far as I'm concerned, far and away the best poker movie is Rounders. Um, and I got into like a debate recently with someone uh, who who wanted to say, and it relates to cheating, that rounders is bad for the game of poker uh, because of the cheating, because they get beat up, because he risks everything. Um, and I just want to get your take on that. Do you think rounders is good for poker or bad for poker and why? Oh, definitely good for poker uh, in so many ways. And And I, you know, to me, I... I find the inclusion of that in the story, um, and you know, there's the cheating that happens at the uh, with the municipal workers, right? The yeah. overt cheating, but then there's also earlier in the film the the scene with the uh, the rich kids game, yeah, where they kind of collude. It's not as kind of in your face, but there's maybe something questionable going on there. To me, I, I think that one of the great things about Rounders is all the different kinds of poker that it shows like the different kinds of games in different settings and the variety of players. And I think it's important that it included, I mean, and it's to the movie's credit that it includes cheating, that it includes, you know, this darker side and it doesn't just assume everybody's uh, playing a square game uh, when they sit down. So I think that's, to me, it makes it a better movie. 
Um, it maybe makes the character, you know, it makes you sort of think about the characters. They're a little more complicated, maybe, uh, than they would be otherwise uh, in terms of their morals and so forth. But uh, I think uh, that makes it a better movie. But I think there are all the other reasons why it's good for poker, just generally, just in the way it shows all these home games and games in casinos and, you know, the underground games and all these things and, and makes poker so interesting. I think that one of the things that we pretend we tr look, we want poker to be legitimate, right? We want that's that's important for our industry for poker to be considered legitimate and a real thing and not something that only criminals and cheats do. But also we I think we're dishonest with ourselves sometimes when we don't admit that that's part of what's cool about it, too. Like it's a little dangerous. It's a little bit. Uh, underground it's a little bit seedy and i think that it's okay to embrace that and i think that rounders embraces that in a, in a pretty in as healthy a way as you can oh absolutely the romance of the game that's part of it is uh that sort of that sense that it's not uh you know it's it's something that maybe not uh people who like to avoid risk and live sort of a more reserved conservative lives they avoid doing things like that but yeah, we're gonna it's larping yeah. it's larping yeah. for for <laughs> for stockbrokers <laughs> uh yeah to, to pivot to, to television if we can I, I actually the very first thing you talk about the uh the anthology series that has the poker scene that was such a joy to read about um i'd never heard of it before and Look, maybe you did a better job of explaining it than I would have enjoyed it had I actually watched it. But I thought that that thing that you describe as being the first ever poker on television, uh, fictional or otherwise, was one of the better poker scenes I'd ever read about. Oh, right. The, uh, it was the live television uh, from the – we're talking uh, very early days of, of TV, and it was the stud game um, – with yeah, the actor that, and his actor uh, fiance, I, right? I felt that I thought that was very clever, and uh, maybe it's because by virtue of the fact that there was nothing to be derivative of before that. But I, I was like, this this seems like an interesting scene that I would probably enjoy even con contemporary in contemporary times. It's something that I obviously didn't see because it was a live TV show that wasn't recorded and there's no tape of it or anything, but isn't that crazy. Isn't just the thought of that crazy that there's something that it wasn't recorded. Yeah. And we're talking about, it's called the Billy Rose show and it was 1950 and um, the episodes called the night they made a bum out of Helen Hayes. And it, the, the I was able to read a script of it though. So that's how I got to write about it. Right. And, such detail and so the script is out there if somebody wanted to to produce it they could it's a neat little half hour uh, story mostly set in a hotel room uh involving uh, a game of seven card stud because i know that back in the 50s what they would sometimes do to ensure there was a recording or an archive of a live tv show is they would literally set up a film camera in front of a tv screen and record the tv transmission off the screen onto film and that's how some of those live dramas from the 50s still exist to this day but i guess that one didn't make the cut what i like particularly about this chapter is going in martin i thought of course you talk about poker on tv and it's going to be about the fictional portrayal of the game but of course you have to talk about how poker has been covered 
as a game on TV. And that then made me segue into the following chapters where you talk about online because you can't talk about the rise of poker on TV without talking about the online boom, which then, of course, segues into the chapter about poker being under siege. And then you just go down the rabbit hole of just reading about modern poker history. Um, but in that, you forget sometimes that when you talk about the boom, you forget that the WPT was already on air before Moneymaker won the World Series, that that big, for want of a better word, Hollywood-style TV production had already started before that magic moment in the summer of, or the spring of 2003. That's right. And, and there were other, there was a couple of other shows in the UK, of course, they had um, poker on TV before that. Yeah. And and obviously, um, I appreciate the book is mostly about American culture. I get that. I'm pleased that it acknowledged late night poker. And the other thing that I thought was mm -hmm. staggering is late night poker ran from 1999 to 2002 in its original incarnation. It got cancelled before the boom started. That's right. And it had, it had a great influence on the WPT show and then on the ESPN shows. Um, and so, yeah, all of that uh, became a big part of the the boom, uh, being able to see the whole cards and being able and and you know as we you know we, we lived through all that so we all all the great characters and plots and things that came out of those shows uh, made it so popular. But while that boom and that increase in TV production may have kept many of us employed, there were some pretty ropey shows produced during that time. And again, <laughs> I hope for your own mental health you didn't have to sit through all those again. No, I, I kind of made uh, a choice. Me, choice. We hosted some of those ropey shows. <laughs> I, I, I'm willing to concede that one. Yeah, in fact, I'm remembering titles of some of those. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I made a choice with that chapter. So I, the chapter is kind of a long one, and it's you know fictional poker on TV, and yeah. the very last part of the chapter is actual poker on TV. And so I highlighted some of the big ones. Um, one of them that I talked about was the Celebrity Poker Showdown, which was, I think, uh, actually had more influence than people realize. Uh, Great. And then uh, I talk about a few of the others, but I, I didn't. I, I I definitely had notes on all that stuff, but I ended up not spending too much time because it's sort of. I mean, those of us who watched all those shows and were consuming everything, um, it's part of our our memory of you know of, of that time and, and our experience of the game but it's kind of trivia i'm trying to write for i'm writing for poker players and poker fans but i'm trying to write for a wide audience of too and, and not get too into uh trivia if i don't have to martin if if this book and your whole career could <laughs> open some doors for you and make it so that the next thing you do is your dream project what would it be Oh, I don't know. Um, I am actually working on another book that doesn't have anything to do with poker. Uh, Boo, we don't care. No, I'm just kidding. It, it is. I basically went down the pop culture road rather than the poker road with this one. And that's the next thing in front of me. Uh, and I have a deadline for that. Um, and then after that, I, I don't really know. I, I, I do know I'm probably not. I, I think it's unlikely I'm going to write any more poker books because uh, this was kind of a, a kind of a one-shot deal. I feel like I put everything I could into this one. Although I have had ideas. I mean, obviously there were things when I finished the book that I, I knew I could have said more on or, or you know explored a little further. Um, but 
I don't think it's going to be writing uh, poker books going forward. Yeah, but like, would you like? Would you want to do a, a TV series? Would you want to be a poker consultant on a you know, let's say there's another tilt type of show? Would you be interested in combining your you know, you're the poker and pop culture expert? Would you want to work on something that is actually a part of pop culture and poker? Yeah, I do think actually that would be. Uh, a lot of fun is to do. And I think it would be the kind of thing that would make it even more. It would, I, I feel like the book is, should be interesting to a wide audience, but I think this would make it even uh, more attractive and, and, and attract an even bigger audiences to um, do some kind of, uh, you know, documentary or something uh, where we could tell these stories uh, in that visual format. Cause there's so much of it that, that is visual um, you know, I write about paintings and, and TV shows and movies and, and all these uh, things where having the pictures would be, uh, to go along with the storytelling would be great. So yeah, some kind of uh, uh, turning poker and pop culture into a into a movie or, or into a series or something would be awesome. Nothing's yeah, going to beat the obscure sounds- radio dramas that you managed to unearth though, Martin. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, there's some old pictures of those guys standing in front of microphones, so we could throw that in. With By- a little Ken Burns. So, yes. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. a bit of rostrum camera work. And congratulations, belated congratulations, on your Global Poker Award, which uh, the book won. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed re- reading it, and I'm going to go back and read the sections that I didn't have time to cover before we recorded this interview. Oh, thanks so much. Yes, it's it was like I say, it was a great great fun to write, very satisfying to finish it, and and I'm I just continue to be amazed at all the nice things that people have said about it. So, uh, thanks so much. Well, it's excellent. Also, I want to remind people that Martin uh, also is a uh, fiction writer as well. I read Martin's novel Obsessica. Uh, oh yes, yes, and that that's a fun little read, a nice little mystery. Um, and if you grew up in the eighties, uh, it's a piece of nostalgia too yeah a little pop culture in there too well martin i'm so glad that you said your next project is about straight up pop culture because if you've ever listened to this show before you will know that every guest is subject to playing one of my stupid games (laughs) oh no in this week's stupid game we're gonna see how much martin harris really knows about pop culture that's right this is a trivia quiz based entirely on the culture of pops, popping, and pop-related things. I was wondering, actually, whether Martin was going to get a pass, Joe, because bear in mind that we did subject Martin a few years ago to the filming of a bizarre edition of Challenge Stapes where you had to recreate a poker hand from EPT Barcelona, and Martin was like kind of the stand-in because you were playing both roles. God, he was the stand-in. That was that was that was a highlight in my uh, film career. <laughs> I, it's really my biggest credit, actually. I promise the next thing we do, Martin, is going to be much better than that. Thank God that hasn't seen the light of day in a long time. No offense to you. Uh, so this <laughs> quiz is all about the pop culture of pop type things. I I mentioned my dad earlier, and he thought pop culture was going to be a book about him, actually. <laughs> you guys have the same sense of humor it sounds like yeah 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 pop jokes uh, oh and actually you know what now that i'm thinking of it that bit that you do for the world series where it's like things to look for today is fucking <laughs> yeah. hilarious it is so funny and i don't i meet people say this to me sometimes and i and i know it's a backhanded compliment i don't think people truly get how funny it is 
And <laughs> I just want you to know that I do, and I love every second of it. And I'm sorry we're going to have to wait until at least fall to get that out of you this time. All right, here we go. Pop quiz on pop culture. Question number one. These are all multiple choice, by the way, but if you can nail it without the multiple choice, all the more power to you. Question number one, which brand of microwave popcorn is the official popcorn of the Disneyland Resort and which attraction does it sponsor? How is this a thing? How is this a thing? (laughs) Is it Orville Redenbacher, Star Tours? Is it Pop Secret and Fantasmic? Is it Jiffy Pop? And the Toy Story Popping Poptacular, or is it Smart Food and the Pocahontas Maze Maze? <laughs> um, I'm going to go with D. The Smart Food Pocahontas Maze Maze is, of course, invented by me, Joe Stapleton. <laughs> Pop Secret is the official microwave popcorn of Disneyland Resort, and it sponsors the attraction Fantasmic, whatever that is. Question number two, which of the following is a real Pop-Tarts flavor? Is it blue raspberry, Oreo cookie, Reese's peanut butter cup, or cigar aficionado Cohiba Sublima? Which one is the real one? Which one is the real one? Uh, Oreo cookie? Oreo cookie is not a real one. They have one called (sighs) cookies and cream, but it is not officially Oreo cookie. Blue Raspberry is the real Pop-Tart there. Okay. Question number three. Which child actor was falsely rumored to have died after consuming large amounts of Pop Rocks and soda? <laughs> was it Mikey from the Life Cereal commercial, Paul from the Wonder Years, Vicky from Small Wonder, or the Gerber Baby? I think I, I think I know this one. I think it's Mikey. Mikey from the Life Serial commercial is correct. Yes. I feel like I've literally entered an alternative dimension. I have no idea what's going on here. America's pretty fucked up, James. That's what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> Question number four. Dr. Sandra Lee goes by this affectionate nickname, which is also the title of her reality TV show. Is it... Pimple Popper Mama, Pimple Popper MD, Dr. Pimple Popper, or Stop Dropping Pimple Pop? Um, Pimple Popper MD. Pimple Popper MD is actually a line from Seinfeld in which he is chastising someone of the same profession. Dr. Pimple Popper is Dr. Sandra Lee. Question number five. If a Craigslist or Backpage ad poster offers a service that includes multiple pops, what are they alluding to? Is it rounds of ammunition, (laughs) chiropractic spine adjustment, multiple male orgasms, or bubble wrap competitions? (laughs) Jeez. Um, uh, I'm going to just go with B there. Chiropractic spine adjustment? Sure, why not? Martin, were you afraid to let everyone know that you knew, in fact, it was multiple male orgasms? I wasn't afraid of that, but I, I was afraid of just guess going straight there as a guess. It is, in fact, something. a sex worker reference to multiple male orgasms. Question of number course. six of seven. 
Which of the following is not a term used as a way for the chemical commonly known as poppers to evade anti-drug laws? Room orderizers, leather polish, pavement <laughs> cleaner, or chicken soup for the soul? Um, I appreciate that of seven that you threw in there when you read the uh, um, chicken soup for the soul. That is correct. They are not sold as chicken soup for the soul. The rest are all ways in which they are sold. Question number seven. And this one ties it all together. Martin Harris. <laughs> this small city in southeast Missouri is known as the gateway to the Ozarks. Is it Poplar Bluff, Poplar Prairie, Poplar Pines, or Poplar Doppler? <laughs> Poplar Bluff? Poplar Bluff is correct. They're thereby tying together poker and pop culture. Martin Harris, thanks so much for being on the show, and I hope we have reason to bring you back on for your next book. Oh, be, be glad to come back anytime. Thanks so much. One of them loves the EPT, knows it inside out, and would do anything for the European Poker Tour. The other one is Joe Stapleton. It's Superfan versus... If you want to run a super fan quiz and give away some prizes, who are you going to call? Ken Miller. Ken, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's Ken it going? Ken Miller, bro? what's up, buddy? How you doing, friend? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good working from home today. Uh, my company went like full time working from home, so fortunately, I still have a job. <laughs> uh, I'm a software developer, so. That makes it easy. Of course you work in something software or <laughs> IT related. It's compulsory in order for you to be a super fan. Um, Ken, thank you for applying to be on the show. You picked a movie that I was surprised to see hadn't already gone as a super fan subject, but also being from the state of Pennsylvania, you're one of our few American listeners who we can actually give real cash prizes to. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised about that too. Like I, I kind of just looked up a list of 80s movies because I, you know, grew up in the 80s. And those are all the movies that I got to watch a million times on HBO. <laughs> so I know them all pretty well. Now, Joe, I, think, I know yeah. you know this film relatively well, but how well? Bearing in mind that I watched it this weekend and put together a really difficult quiz. <laughs> I don't know if I can compete with that. I will say that this is one of the, you know, every once in a while, I did not rewatch it. Uh, every once in a while, you'll just hit a movie that I've seen enough times and saw it at, a, at an age where I was impressionable enough that I just remember most of it. I think this is one of those. And Ken, did you revisit it in the last few days? I did, yeah. I, just, I actually watched it a couple times in the last week. Okay, well, um, fucked. My, I, <laughs> my money is usually on the superfan. In this case, all of my money is on Ken Miller. <laughs> it, it held up really well. I was surprised, you know, because I, I hadn't seen it in a while. And uh, a lot of the jokes are still really funny. It does hold up well. There are two things that bother me about it. The first is the smoking, which yeah. for a family movie, I just think is really very much a thing of its time. But even in the 80s kind of was wrong. The other thing is, and I love Bill Murray, but his character is so sleazy towards yeah. Sigourney Weaver to the point yeah. where it makes your skin crawl in places. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Not by today's, you know, not up to today's standards. I mean, as, as far as consent. I think, he's, <laughs> I think he's a romantic gentleman in the film, personally. Yeah. Um, Ken, what else can you tell us about yourself? Uh, do, you, do you play on PokerStars PA at all? 
I do. Yeah, I play on it a bit. I, I also play on the the free money. I mean, the play money uh, site. Yep. And um, I play some live poker too. I play bar poker. Uh, I used to play bar poker <laughs> like yes. three or four nights a week. It's a temporary hiatus in normality. That's the way you have to look at it. I mean, I don't think any of us are going to be naive to say that things are suddenly going to go back to normal overnight, but eventually we'll be back in poker rooms and be back in bars, you know, meeting our friends again soon. Yeah, I mean, it, it was really heartbreaking to have to give that up, but uh, I, I did actually get to play in a in a tournament with Chris Moneymaker in February. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> it was a charity tournament in Toronto, uh, and they were giving away a platinum pass, so I drove up for that. And uh, I met the tournament director, and he was impressed with how far I drove. I bet. And asked and asked me if I wanted to sit in the VIP section at MoneyMaker's table. Wow. Which I said yes. Of course, <laughs> yeah. of course. Said, gonna, you know, because it was a charity tournament, so people could just buy as many chips as they wanted. And I I didn't realize people were going to be spending like thousands of dollars on chips. Yeah. Wow. So I had pretty much a tiny stack compared <laughs> to everyone else. So I figured out oh, might as well lose to MoneyMaker. So now, I got to hang out with him for a couple hours, which Ken, was really, really cool. My North American geography is okay, but it ain't great. How far is it from where you live to Toronto? It's supposed to take seven hours of driving, but it took 10 because there was snow. It was like I was driving through lake effect snow in upstate New York. Yeah, if you have, once you have to drive through Buffalo, you're just completely Ooh. fucked if there's any moisture in the air whatsoever. Yeah, it was it was clear here and it was clear in Toronto, but on the way it was just like snow across the road and like everybody's doing like 30 miles an hour so it took forever but yeah that is commitment to see money maker in the flesh no a hundred percent uh so i have 10 questions plus tiebreakers if we need them every question has a bonus attached but the bonuses are only available if you get the question right there is no stealing of the main questions but if you get your main question wrong your opponent automatically steals your bonus question multiple choice options available if you need them ken miller please give me a number one through ten uh, let's start with number one okay let's start at the very beginning what is the name of the librarian who sees the ghost at the start of the movie oh god um <laughs> Would you like the, the multiple choice the options? Or the, nope, the, the, the character's character. name. The name of the character. Oh. Uh, can I have the choices? You can have the choices. Is it Edna, Alice, Grace, or Louise? Alice? It is Alice for one point, which means you get the bonus question. Who did her uncle think he was? St. Jerome. Correct, for the bonus point. Joe. the patron saint of librarians, by the way. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Three points. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's going to need any extra points here, Joe. Two through ten available. Uh, give me number ten, please. Question number ten. On which floor of Dana's building is Peter planning to throw up? I'll take the choices. <laughs> 15, 18, 20, or 22? 22. Incorrect. Tell me when we get to 20, I'm going to throw up. And that means, Ken, you steal the bonus. And the bonus is, complete this quote from Ray. Aim for... Ooh. Aim for... That was while they were climbing the stairs? Nope. Oh. Um... Wow, I don't know. Aim for the flat top. 
Oh. <laughs> right. And Ken, you can pick your next question. Two through nine. Uh, it's always coming seven. Question seven. What is Dana's apartment number? Uh, 2206. Correct, for two points. And you get the bonus question. Which game does Lewis tell Dana they're planning to play at his party? Swister. Correct, for a bonus point. Joe, where would you like to go on the board? <laughs> Does it matter? <laughs> Give me question number three, please. I never pick three. What's the name of the hotel being haunted by Slimer? The... Uh, I guess I should take the choices just so I can get on the board. Go ahead. Is it the Wallbridge, the Sedgwick, the Cathcart, or the ETAP? Sedgwick. It is the Sedgwick for one point, which means you get the bonus question. What is the last line of the Ghostbusters television commercial? Mm. We're here for you. Close, but no cigar. We're ready to believe you. Ready to believe you. Yeah, that's not close enough. Ken, two, four, five, six, eight, or nine? Uh, four. Question four. Dana says Peter is less like a scientist and more like a... Ooh. Um, game show host? Correct, for two points. Wow. And the bonus question. What is Egon's hobby? He collects spores, molds, and fungus. Correct, for a bonus point. <laughs> Joe, two, five, six, eight, or nine? Six, please. How long is Egon's metaphorical Twinkie? It's in the miles, I think. Let's hear the choices. Is it 25 feet, 35 feet, 45 feet, or 55 feet? I guess I was wrong about that. Um, 25 feet. It was 35 feet, and that means Ken steals your bonus question. Ken, who plays Walter Peck? Uh, William Atherton. Correct, for the bonus point. And it's your question. Two, five, eight, or nine? Five. What is Dana doing? while watching Ray being interviewed on TV. Oh. Uh, could I have the choices? Is she stringing a cello, working out, eating a bagel, or flicking through a magazine? Uh, flicking through a magazine? No, she's stringing a cello. And that means, oh. Joe, you get the bonus question. Which future right. CNN presenter makes a cameo appearance hosting a New York talk radio show? Wolf Blitzer. No, it's Larry King. It's your question, though, Joe. You can have two, eight, or nine. Uh, eight, please. What is the full name of the Keymaster of Goza? I'll take the choices. Is it Vic Carabast, Viv Kuru, Vince Clotho, or Vince Vega? Vince Clotho. It is for one point, and you get the bonus. Vince i.e. Lewis, hands Egon a lamp and which other household item? A colander. Close. It was a kitchen item. It's a frying pan. <sighs> Bet you're wishing you'd rewatch the film now. Two or nine <laughs> for your final question, Ken. Two. What does the graffiti say on the door of the Paranormal Studies Laboratory at the university? Oh. Um... Venkman, oh, go to hell, Venkman. 
It's Venkman Burn in Hell. You were close yeah. enough. I'm going to give you one point. Not that you need it. The bonus <laughs> question. What shape is on the first card we see Peter holding during his unconventional ESP test? A star. It is a star. You get the bonus point. And Joe, you get question nine. What is the mayor's first name? Uh, I'll take the choices. Leslie, Louis, Leo, or Lenny? Leo. It's Lenny, which means, Ken, you get the bonus question. Oh, what it. is the bishop's first name? Oh, oh man. I wouldn't have got the bonus question anyway. I don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> it made me hate the movie Ghostbusters now. Well, you can always watch the all-female version. Um, no, I, I don't remember. Mike was the name of the bishop. I'm interested, Ken, because you've done extraordinarily well in this quiz. Let's see if you know either of the tiebreaker questions. When Ray remortgages his family home, how much does Egon calculate the interest payments for the first five years will total? Oh, oh God. I think it's like $95,000. Spot on. What's the interest <laughs> rate on the mortgage? Uh, 9%? It's 19%, but you won't. Oh. You, you almost had it. Anyway, the tiebreakers never came into play because you crushed Ken. 11 <laughs> points for our superfan. A measly two points for Joe Stapleton. Congratulations. Uh, sorry, no. You are a winner. And we're going to make you. sure that you get some T-dollars in your PokeStars Pennsylvania account. And we'll also let you pick a T-shirt from the exclusive Poker in the Ears range. Awesome. Thank you so Ken, much. Ken, you truly have been a super fan for quite some time now. So I'm glad to have thrown the game completely <laughs> for I you. Appreciate it. I appreciate You're welcome. It. Joe Stapleton gives the most convincing performance of his career if that story were true <laughs> oh I, th I thought of something uh since joe's last name is stapleton and his nickname is stapes uh james your your nickname should be hearts because you're hard again oh i see which kind of has a poker connotation as well I yeah. think sometimes people refer to us as Stapes and Hearts every once in a while. The problem is that James Hardigan, as a person, is just not a nickname-friendly human. Like, no. he just, he is, he's not a Jim or a Jimmy. He is James Hardigan. I do have my alter ego, Joe, Jimmy the Bastard, who that occasionally writes a really tough Ghostbusters superfan quiz. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> Ken, thank you very much for sparing the time to talk to us. Thank you for your support, and we'll get your prizes sorted ASAP. But as we've said to every superfan in recent weeks, I'm sure you appreciate with everything that's going on in the world right now. We can't guarantee the T-shirt will be with you anytime soon. Yeah, no problem. I'm, you know, hardly wearing clothes these days anyway. So. <laughs> it's gonna be a scathing two plus two thread about how the Poker in the Ears podcast hasn't sent people their <laughs> fucking T-shirts yet. <laughs> No doubt. Ken, thank you very much for joining us today. All right. Thanks, guys. It was an honor to talk to you. All right, my babies. We're almost out of time for this week's show. Coming up next week, keep watching EPT Retro, and you get to watch Rounders again. If you've never seen it, watch it the regular way. If you have seen it, try to track down the professional poker player commentary track with Phil Hellmuth, Johnny Chan, Chris Moneymaker, and Chris Ferguson. They're all sitting in a room watching the movie together, and we are very likely to be doing a two-part episode, assuming we can get Mr. Brian Koppelman between now and then. I think he's going to come through. I just got to sack up and drop another little reminder into his inbox. Yeah, but it's looking likely that we'll do 
our actual retrospective review on next week's podcast and probably the superfan quiz about rounders next week as well. So in the next seven days, definitely revisit the movie. And yes, I still have not watched the version on the Blu-ray that has the professional poker player commentary. So that's going to be a new experience for me. I imagine it'll be a new experience for you as well, Joe. Yeah, I have not seen it. I, I'm kind of looking forward to it, but also I'm kind of like, I think that I'm going to prefer the actual movie to the commentary track. So I'm like dreading it a little bit because I don't some commentary tracks are just not good. Yeah. Um, and I'm afraid that having to listen to Phil Hellmuth for two hours instead of watching one of my favorite movies uh, is maybe a bit of a chore. But <laughs> I'm trying to have an open mind about it. So, yeah, we got a couple of weeks of rounders coming up, guys. That is about all the time we've got for this week's show. Uh, please drop us a comment, a like. Please subscribe to the show if you are enjoying it. It costs you nothing. That is all the time we have got for this week's episode. Until next time, for James Hardigan, this is Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. Smell you later.